Welcome to the Bedpost Podcast. I, of course, am your host, Erin Pym. And what I like to do here on the podcast is bring fun and sexy guests into the studio to have in-depth conversations about sex and sexuality. And today I have a very exciting guest. Um, we, I think we've kind of taken a little bit of a break from like talking about like COVID specific topics. So we're right back into it because I really loved this pitch that my lovely friend Dan Udi sent me. So please, everyone, welcome to the mic, writer, comedian, and public health worker. Dan, how are you doing? Good. How are you? I'm doing pretty well. I actually um, did my first, speaking of COVID stuff, I did my first park meetup with multiple people. Oh, yeah? That was a thing I hadn't even done yet. So I did that today. So that was great. <laughs> was, was that like an established bubble or was that kind of the first venturing outside of the bubble? That was like, I've done park visits with people who are not in my bubble, just like a one-on-one park visit, but like masks mm-hmm. and six feet apart. So yeah. this time we did like multiple people who are not in my bubble doing that. So, you know like four of us basically same thing masks six feet apart in a big old circle you know um and and yeah i was like oh uh, good you know that seems a little more like pre-covid normalcy so yeah how how does it make you feel i'm really i'm really interested to speaking to people about kind of how they're balancing just general pandemic anxiety with the need to actually socialize. Yeah, definitely. I'm I'm definitely been playing it on the conservative side. We have a bubble of just three people and it's been that way since like early March. So anytime mm. we wanted to have any contact with someone like within feet six feet contact with somebody that are not our us three, we would quarantine for a week away from the other two. So we're at two households. So we were able to do that. So that's what we've been doing for the past five months. Cause I have another partner. um, So anytime I would, and he's not in the three people. So anytime I would see him, I would have to be by myself. First, when we started, it was two weeks. I had to be alone. And then now it's been moved to one week. So that was like, we've been doing that and we're still doing that. So I've done park visits, um, you know, masked park visits where it's distanced. So I kind of have just recently felt comfortable doing that. So I'm doing that a little more and it's, I'm feeling a little better, you know, just like mental health wise. And just like, I could do better getting out of the house. Like I do stay in a lot. I've been working from home. So it's like, I think doing more of this would be a really good thing for me. Yeah. I feel like everybody is different. And also every, even in Canada, every kind of province, every city is different just because the situation varies so much. Mm-hmm. But I f- I feel like in Toronto anyway, we're kind of reaching a point where things are going well. It's not amazing, but they're in the right direction. And I feel like it kind of now is the point where people have realized like, all right, well, actually, like, it's important for my mental health to actually be doing something. Um, Definitely. And I, I personally have been feeling kind of in the last, like, I don't know, maybe month or so, like a lot more comfortable with like getting the TTC to go places and like meeting up with friends. Um, and I think that probably also comes with, comes from my own job because I spend a lot of my time kind of going through the latest COVID research and seeing what we know about like transmission and prevention and stuff. And so it's looking more and more like masks are a really simple, but really effective way to prevent it. So actually I'm a lot less spooked about like grocery shopping, for example, because at least in Canada, people kind of listen to the mask rules. And I think if people don't do it, it's generally because they're being lazy or they've forgotten rather than they think it's like some violation of their human rights. Yeah, that's something I also have been feeling a little more comfortable doing. Like Mm -hmm. for maybe like three months straight, my husband was the one that was doing the grocery shopping. I didn't feel comfortable doing that. So now I'm also doing grocery shopping. I like, you know, I 
had to mail something the other day. I did that. Like, so yeah. I'm, that stuff is kind of still, you know, totally masked and not mm-hmm. touch, touching as little as possible and um, hand sanitizing, you know, diligently, <laughs> all that stuff. Yeah. But I've been, yeah, slowly reincorporating uh, stuff like that as well. So. But it does help to like get us back into some sort of routine also because this is going to be with us for a really long time. And yeah. so we might as well now while the summer is happening and while infections are kind of pretty low, we might as well now just get used to sort of, I hate the word, I hate the phrase new normal, but this is our new normal for a while. So we might as well adapt to doing chores and kind of going out, but like just sanitizing a lot, wearing masks. And it feels like it's happening. Like masks are kind of just becoming a thing that everybody has and everybody uses. Um, I'm just just saying, I I wish they were given out for free Mm. because like it is a thing that is, an accessibility so issue completely and when i've been on the ttc and i've seen people without masks a lot of the time the people without masks are people experiencing homelessness right. or people who are quite visibly low income and it's like yeah obviously because if you're buying disposable ones they're a dollar each mm-hmm. and That's if i had five dollars to spend yeah i would probably spend that on food instead of a mask so i like i f- we do have budget somewhere to be giving people masks and like it kind of frustrates me that we don't but at the very least, it's not like it's not a complete disaster zone. So I think we've just got to sort of be happy with the way things are. Yeah, totally. And I think that um, I uh, yeah, I think I've only come in contact with one person that was like an anti-masker in a public space. Like I had to go to the bank recently and somebody was like kind of trying to hassle me to oh really to move up their space there move up and i was like oh. there's supposed to be space there <laughs> oh, <laughs> see yeah. how the circles are drawn on the floor <laughs> and we have to stand in those circles so <laughs> like stuff like that but yeah. in general i feel like we're all kind of on board with this mm-hmm. you know yeah. yeah teamwork makes a dream work right exactly in the words <laughs> of high school musical we're all in this together (laughs) yes we certainly are (laughs) so we wanted to um so you're a comedian but you also work in public health so we wanted to kind of talk about both of these things like covid comedy during covid and then also talking about like stuff we have on our schedule like safe sex during covid yeah so uh, maybe let's pre uh, load the load <laughs> the um <laughs> the uh, covid stuff so maybe you can introduce yourself and like what you do kind of in the public health sphere so, yeah so <laughs> spear. spear so <laughs> Britney Spear. <laughs> oh, I love her. Um, so yeah, my name my name is Dan. I work for um, Canada's largest HIV and hepatitis C nonprofit. And what we actually do is we're not a frontline service organization. I, if you have any regular listeners who remember me from months ago, yep. um, we just do knowledge exchange. So it means that we make kind of resources and campaigns for members of the general public or communities at risk or for service providers. Um, So our job basically is to like find the science and then translate it for different groups of people to make sure sort of the most up-to-date messaging, usually on HIV and hepatitis C, gets out. But obviously since COVID happened, we are in a position where like, oh, we already work with um, epidemiologists, which is a really fancy way of saying people who study diseases. Yes. So that's what they've already been doing with HIV and hep C for decades. And so we were in like a very good position to sort of pivot a little bit and start addressing COVID and also some of the ways that COVID intersects with HIV and hepatitis C. Because, for example, uh, if all the supervised consumption services shut down, but people continue to use drugs, then you're going to have much higher rates of people overdosing, which you've already seen. Yes. Um, And also if you're kind of shaming people for having sex and people aren't comfortable going to access sexual healthcare services, then you're going to see higher rates of HIV transmission and STIs. So we're doing a whole bunch of different things. Some of it is really targeted to the communities that we already serve. And then some of it is just general COVID messaging. Yeah, so it's been really interesting because obviously everything is changing. Uh, Like new research is coming out all the time. What we thought was the situation in March is absolutely not the situation now. Some of it is actually really good information because we have learned things like, for example, masks are super effective. Um, And there have been case studies from the USA where 
a handful of people went to a hair salon. Turned out they had COVID afterwards, but there were no transmissions because in an environment like a salon, everyone is wearing masks and they never take them off. So that Amazing. is like really great news. So we learned like, okay, actually like being indoors, but when everyone is like wearing masks and not taking them off and not moving them around, it's really, yeah. yeah, it's just a really simple way to prevent transmission. Yeah, I think one of the things that was that made me relax a bit was that we had to worry a lot less about like transmission through surfaces so i wasn't yes because that was something that gave me a lot of anxiety like wiping down every fucking little thing that came Mm -hmm. from anywhere and you know just constantly worrying about that so that was something that really put me at ease that new information and that is that is something that would make people be panicking a lot more because it's less about sort of how you behave around other people and it suddenly becomes this like mysterious virus that could be anywhere and it could be inside yes. your house yes um, exactly and what we have noticed is like the cdc in in the us they have kind of changed what they were saying about surfaces and surfaces are actually there's still a bit of a gray area like we can't definitively say it doesn't happen right. but we do think that it's i have to be careful how i phrase things we do think it's less um less substantial of a risk than we initially thought because initially we were like oh it could be on all these surfaces and everyone could be getting sick by touching things and touching their face it doesn't mean you should stop washing your hands yeah um but it does mean that it's it's slightly less of a thing to worry about compared to how close you are to other people and generally what it looks like is i think the biggest risk risk factor is indoors versus outdoors yes exactly Um, yeah which is also something that has helped me personally relax a lot more because obviously it's the summer and we're able to socialize and see our friends outside exactly Um, me too same yeah and so once you get into things like like restaurants and patios i get a little bit um apprehensive just because you're having to take masks off to eat and drink and obviously like cutlery and things are being shared and so i personally don't think that um that indoor dining is a really good idea even though we're allowed to do it um yeah you will I, not see me even on a patio like i mean i'm, yeah. I'm playing it pretty conservative but you won't see me in, on a patio for a long time let alone inside in a restaurant like for sure. to me that yeah just seems like nuts yeah like one just assuming thing... so much risk for like nothing just do it outside like just mm-hmm. get takeout oh, just anything yeah well, else. it's it's the summer so we have these kind of options so we can actually be doing other things and i think one thing that's really important to bear in mind is that the the rules about what we can and can't do are actually they're political decisions made by politicians and in ontario they're not clearly being made by scientists they're being made by people who've realized that the economy is at risk of crumbling so we have to sort of keep the economy going um and so i think just because the government says you can do something doesn't necessarily mean we always should it doesn't mean you have to panic about everything but i think we should still be trying to make kind of educated decisions about what is or is not safe for us personally and the people that we come into contact with and it's the summer so i think we're actually able to get takeout or get drinks from like a brewery to go see people in a park that kind of stuff and so personally i think we should we should always just kind of still be thinking about like okay just because i can go to a gym should i go to a gym if i'm able to exercise outdoors like who am i coming into contact with do I have elderly relatives? There's so many things. It's yeah. kind of like, um, it's like HIV or STI risk. Like you're never going to be a completely risk-free situation unless you're living alone in a bubble and never leaving that house. Yeah, it's safer um, sex items. So it's exactly. kind of exactly a similar thing with masks and with uh, assumed or acquired risk with, with uh, COVID stuff. Yeah, I've, I've kind of made that kind of condom or just like barriers in general, that kind of parallel between like mask wearing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's 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 what we call like harm reduction. Yes, um, right, exactly. And it's it's very interesting for me because my work is also sort of moving in a harm reduction direction when it comes to things like the overdose crisis. And people who work in that field have like for years been trying to get um, services like supervised consumption services where you can inject safely. Have been trying to get them established, and there's so much red tape and so much pushback because gov- the politicians still think that if you reduce the harms of taking drugs you're encouraging people to do it and it's moralistic but very quickly when it came to covid suddenly the idea of harm reduction was totally fine it was yeah, like it made okay sense well, to them for some reason yeah now. it was like if people are going to socialize in trinity bellwoods it's better that they're doing it where we can see it 
which really kind of emphasizes how how much stigma there is around drugs and people who use drugs because it's exactly the same principle just we're refusing to apply it in certain cases yeah yeah totally so okay what are i guess the first things you started to collaborate when you're talking about like getting together information about what you do with your pamphlets and your information and whatnot what were some of like the first things on your to-do list as far as getting those together for people yeah so we haven't actually we're working on these things right now we haven't launched them yet but we basically we started like a covid sort of working group so it's a whole bunch of colleagues that are like doing different projects we all come together every two weeks to go through the latest research that's been published Um, some people are attending virtual conferences in like the states and everyone's kind of getting together to share what we know about prevention and transmission and treatment and stuff like that great um And so then there's a handful of us that are actually working on resources. Uh, So we're not just kind of reading the science for the sake of it, but we're trying to make something for the general public. Um, So I personally am working on a COVID and HIV resource. So that's giving information for people who have HIV who might be concerned about COVID and what to know about uh, their treatment and their risk level and just sort of general practical tips for like how to make sure that you have a supply of medication and what maybe changing with your healthcare team. Um, and then I have another colleague who's working on sex and COVID. So she is looking at basically the different um, safer sex tips that have been developed. The first ones are coming out of New York City and then there are some from BC. The, the, they're the ones that you might have seen on Twitter where it's like, oh, the government is telling us to use glory holes. And yes, so, like, I did see that. That yeah. is definitely something I wanted to bring up. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's really funny for me because... A lot of the sex behaviors that they are saying are the safest ones are actually ones that I think have been pretty stigmatized for a very long time. So exactly. actually, if you think about that's it, exactly what I was thinking. Yeah. Having anonymous hookups in a public park where you are having the kind of sex we are not face to face, i.e. butt sex, yeah. is actually like probably a lot safer than having face to face missionary straight sex in someone's Inside. apartment. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Yeah. Which, it's hilarious. Obviously, not everyone is cruising in a park and having random hookups. But, like, there are... Yeah, it's funny where with the government is now like, glory holes, have you tried them? Yeah, um, but, like, where do we get a glory... Like, you know what... It, it, is, are there yeah. additional resources to be like, here's where you can purchase them or make them or, like, <laughs> you know? Uh, I mean, there is nothing more depressing than, like, a bad DIY glory hole. Like, I've seen people try to do it with sheets and I'm just like, oh, no, just don't even bother. <laughs> <laughs> that's not what we meant no <laughs> yeah no but that is it is funny seeing some people waking up to the kind of sex that other people were having to begin with this whole time um yeah and i feel like the kind of conversations that we're having are i think because covid is something that's so severe and it's so unknown we're kind of being forced into having convers- like really frank conversations about sex that some of us might have been scared to have before yeah um, totally. like i don't think you would have really seen public health bodies mentioning glory holes you certainly would not have seen that no but now they are and so i definitely appreciate that and and i also think that like i mean even if even if you're not having anonymous like glory hole hookups uh, glory hole hookups um <laughs> it's still like we're we're now all having to think about sex in in a harm reduction way when perhaps there were some people that weren't necessarily thinking about it before like if you come from a community that's affected by hiv i feel like you're already sort of used to having to make these type of risk assessments when it comes to having sex with people. And so it's, I mean, so it means that, for example, for the gay community, like this doesn't feel like it's something very different. It's just a different type of of risk to manage, but it's definitely kind of introducing that concept of, of, of harm reduction for people that may have thought like, Oh, I'll, I'll never get an STI. I'll never get HIV. Mm -hmm. Um, Sex is just a fun thing that I do and don't think about it. So yeah, that that has been really uh, interesting for me to watch because it feels like um, other groups of society are kind of waking up to the way that some of us have been having to think about sex for a very long time. Yeah, for me, I mean, in the sex worker sphere, we're kind of saying the same thing as well, right? So yeah, people are finally like, oh, we're actually having like thoughtful conversations surrounding harm reduction as far as sex goes, yeah. Yeah. Whereas usually that's a conversation that is kind of off the table for a lot of people mm-hmm. that um, aren't in those communities. So, 
are you able to talk about like some concrete things that we can yes. do to reduce risk as far as sex and COVID go? As far as sex and COVID. Um, well, obviously like the caveat is that the safest kind of sex in, in any context is no sex at all, but that's just not really realistic. Yeah. Like we are humans that want to have connection with other people and the mental health effects of being stuck by yourself and just like jerking off furiously for six months are like quite extreme. So there will come a point where you will probably want to have sex and you just yes. have to think about, I think the first thing to think about is like, okay, am I comfortable with the possibility of getting sick? Am I coming into regular contact with someone for whom it would be like a serious problem? Like, are you living with an older person or are you in close contact with someone that has a pre-existing health condition? So we know there are things like diabetes and high blood pressure that can make COVID really serious and potentially lethal. So yeah. that I think is the first step to think about. It's like, are you comfortable having sex given your contacts with other people? Mm -hmm. If you think that's fine and if you're like, okay, I'm happy to take that risk. I personally am healthy and I'm not putting anyone else's health at risk. Then it comes a situation where it's like, well, okay, well, what do you kind of want to do? Obviously the the main routes of transmission are through droplets that come out of your mouth. Yes. Um, and the gray area is is actually about sort of how far those go. And there are there are there are things that we um, we talk about airborne transmission is this new thing that people have started thinking about recently, which is even smaller droplets which could hang around in the air for a really long time and travel really far. Mm -hmm. Now the evidence on those is like starting to come out, but at the moment it's still pretty hypothetical. But it still means that basically like if you're in kind of a room with someone, even if you're over six feet away, there is a tiny chance that if they had COVID, you could still kind of come into contact with these tiny, tiny micro droplets. Right. So it's basically like, if you're gonna be going near someone, then there is going to be a risk. Even if like you just were blowing them, their face is still what like fairly near yours. So yep. there's no, there's no real, I Depending think. Depending on how tall they are. <laughs> yes. But just because of the way that air circulates and, and there's so much of it that we can't see, there's no way to really have sexual contact that is like completely no risk. Right. But the things that you can do is like kissing is obviously the thing where it's like, that is a lot of saliva. That is a lot of like mouth to mouth contact. That is probably the highest risk thing that you could do in terms of COVID. Gotcha. With, with everything else, the, the, the general advice is that you can wear masks, obviously. And also mm -hmm. if you're having, if you're using sex positions where you're not having face-to-face -to -face contact, that's ideal. So like doggy style is an ideal one where you're not facing each other. Yeah. And if you're doing that and you're wearing, both wearing masks, then like your risk is lowered a lot. If you're having a sexual encounter where your masks aren't coming off, so you're both not doing anything with your mouths, mm -hmm. then that is a kind of safer way to do it. Obviously, like, that will be different for a lot of people, so you would have to kind of adapt to that. But, yeah, like, you can incorporate masks into sex. People have already been doing that for a long while in the kink community, and so, like... Sure have, yes. Yeah, now is a great time. If you've never experimented with that and you feel like doing it, now is a great time to do it because it has the added benefit of potentially making your sex safer. But I think I think the biggest thing to think about generally is is actually just your your own risk for the illness being severe and just the people that are around you. Because I think once you're getting into a sex environment, you're kind of, you're getting into a COVID environment. Like it's just going to happen because it's not like it's um, HIV where it's in bodily fluids that have to kind of come into contact with you and get inside you. This is something that we can't really see. Mm -hmm. So you just kind of have to be, have to be on board with the potential idea of, of being exposed to it. And for some people that, is that's fine uh, like like for me i know that my own mental health would suffer way too much if i didn't have any close contact with anyone for the entire duration of this pandemic yeah exactly. and and for me like getting getting sick with covid would be preferable to going into a super bad depression spiral and lord knows what would happen there like it's never been that bad for me but these are also kind of crazy circumstances so like those are the kind of decisions that i think people have to make when it yeah. comes to having sex. Yeah, exactly. Um, and it's, and it's, I think it's important to say like not to judge folks that um, are doing their own risk, risk assessment as far yeah. as this goes. Um, and, you know, just as long as you're not, um, you know, 
purposefully endangering other people or ignorantly, you know, endangering other people. Like Mm -hmm. we all have different thresholds for, you know, like being alone, like lack of contact, not being in contact, physical contact with people. We all have different mental health um, statuses, you know, and it's just uh, like I can't even imagine being completely alone this whole time. Like, yeah, I've been very, very lucky that I cohabitate with, Uh, my husband and then also I get to see my other partner sometimes too Mm -hmm. like and we've worked that out but like for instance like Matt's brother has not touched another person since like he lives alone and he's been fairly conservative about how he's going about this as well he literally has not touched another person since early March yeah and I'm like oh my god like when i'm when i'm like oh you know i'm being a strong person as far as this goes and like why can't other people you know do just do the shit you know it's like well you live with somebody and you also Mm -hmm. get to see your other partner like you can't even imagine what that might be like for a person to be isolating alone and have literally no contact no physical contact with any other person yeah like I, i live by myself and so i did not touch a single person until Ontario introduced the bubbles rules. That was some point in May. So I went two full months without even hugging someone. And then I like saw my friend and hugged them and was like, oh my God, I like, I haven't done this in months. Yeah. You just start crying suddenly. (laughs) Yeah. Well, it was, it was like surprisingly (laughs) overwhelming. It was really intense because I also like, I, at that point I was in a different apartment. I was in a basement as well, which was like like, brutal because I was working from home without daylight. Oh Um, goodness. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it, and it especially, was... yeah, when you, then you bring in all these other factors. Yeah, like, like mm-hmm. a living situation, for example, like being in a basement versus being in a place that where you have a balcony in a condo, you know, like yeah, I yeah. do once again. Like, so it's just, yeah, just important to think about the folks that don't have access to, yeah. you know, other people in outdoor spaces and on and on and I, on, right? I do think, like, uh, just circling back briefly to kind of things to bear in mind, I do think there is probably, like, one caveat in which you, like, really shouldn't be having sex, Mm -hmm. and that would just be if you have any symptoms. And if you've had a test and are waiting for a result, I think it's, that's a kind of very clear situation where, like, it'll probably be fine because there's very little of it going around, but just in case, you shouldn't be having sex while you're waiting for a test result or while you have any kind of sickness symptoms. Um, well said. So that I think is the only real, like, hard and fast rule where, like, that's the kind of ethical thing to do to protect your partners is to, even if it's just a bit of a sniffle, like, mm-hmm. go get tested. We want as many people as possible to be getting tested. Mm-hmm. You don't have to have any symptoms to get them, and you can normally get your results within 24 hours. You don't even have to have a health card. So yeah, it, like the the system now, as opposed to in March, is like finally like fixed like before the 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 stipulations were like really really high and like you had to have x number of symptoms but now they just want like as many people as possible to get tested um so that is something i would really advocate for like if if you think you're sick just go get one it's like a little bit uncomfortable but it's not as bad as it was back in march because they have changed the swab and the first one was fucking horrendous i got it done it was awful oh god yeah. But this one's not bad, and you get in and out pretty quickly, right? I haven't gone for one, so... it like I think it can vary depending on where you are. So I only really know about Toronto, but you can go on like, the Toronto Public Health website and you can see a list of testing centres. Um, obviously, if you think about kind of what are the really dense parts of town, like, there are some where you could be waiting for like an, an hour plus. Okay. Um, but then there are some... Still. like I live, in the, I live in the East End, yeah. There's, there's one that was um, kind of near Pape Station. Mm-hmm. And I was in and out in 15 minutes. Oh, damn. And then my results Perfect. came in under 24 hours. Wow. Yeah. See, yeah. so why wouldn't you then? Yeah, it is. If that's the I, case. I think some people probably just don't know how it works. They think it's the same as it was in March. And it's like so simple. And like, it's one thing that we all collectively can do just to sort of keep the whole thing tracked. Because we know that like so many people actually can have it and not have any symptoms. So it's just, it's just a good thing to do. But yeah, the only the only instance where I would say don't have sex, that's a very strong thing to say, just don't do it if you feel sick. Just wait a bit until you until you know everything's fine. Let's take a moment to talk about our lovely sponsors, shall we? First of all, Oasis Aqua Lounge is a water-themed sex club located right here in Toronto at 231 Mutual Street. Oasis is inclusive of all genders and orientations and is shame-free when it comes to pleasure and play. Check them out at their website, oasisaqualounge.com. 
Unicorn Collaborators is the local leather business of two queer unicorns. They specialize in luxurious and colorful harnesses for all body types, and even craft non-conventional ones for your thigh, fist, or foot. Check them out at their Etsy shop under Unicorn Collaborators. Lovecrafters Toys is a non-gendered fantasy sex toy line that makes weird and wonderful dildos in the shape of tentacles, unicorn horns, mermaid tails, and more. Their high-quality silicone is hand-poured right here in Toronto. Check out their Etsy shop at Lovecrafters Toys. ComeAsYouAre.com is a trans-owned, trans-operated sex shop that also happens to be feminist and anti-capitalist. They carry only the best sex toys and want to give you the best price possible. Next time, use the coupon code BEDPOST, that's B-E-D-P-O-S-T, when checking out at ComeAsYouAre.com. Did you want to speak uh, to the first topic you kind of brought up, like the connection between folks who have HIV and how they feel about COVID and how they should navigate COVID? Yeah, um, I would just say if, if you have any listeners who are living with HIV, it's actually not something to really worry about. I think that's a really big misconception is okay. that because HIV is like an immune illness that that would automatically make covid really serious but if you are on effective treatment and your viral load is undetectable which we've spoken about before but it means just that it's so low in your body you can't pass it on to anyone else through sex then actually you're fine you are healthy and you are not at more risk um the risk comes with like other health conditions which sometimes can happen if you have hiv so for example like if you have diabetes or if you have high blood pressure or if you have um, coronary heart disease um, then that actually is what would make your COVID more severe, not the HIV itself. Mm-hmm. Um, so most people with HIV are on treatment and most of them are undetectable. Like it's a very high percentage. So actually it's something to like, you don't have to worry any more than the general population. Um, but I would say that anyone that is positive should just kind of stay in regular contact with their healthcare team and just to sort of keep them in the loop about everything and make sure that you stay on treatment. There aren't any problems with medications being accessed, which I think people worried about at the beginning, just because the whole world basically shut down. We were like, what happens if the drug factories shut down and everything? Right. Um, Yeah. And so we're not really seeing that right now. Um, just sometimes people might prescribe, uh, shorter courses of drugs instead of like three months at a time, they might give you one month. Um, but generally like if you're already in care and you're on treatment, everything is fine. Like it's not more of a problem than it is for the average person walking down the street. Okay. Good to know. Great news. Yes. Great news. Um, and, uh, was there anything else, uh, surrounding like sex and COVID that we should be talking Hmm. about other than like, okay. So we know kind of how to do some harm reduction. I think I think harm reduction is the biggest thing. And also, yeah. yeah, like you made a really good point where it's like, don't be judging anyone if you find out that they have been having sex. Because everyone's situation is different. And there could be some, yeah, you could be living with your long-term partner, having regular sex and being able to hug somebody. And then there could be someone who has been living alone this whole time and doesn't have a close circle of friends they can hang out with. And so for them, like having sex with people is that form of human connection that people need. So I don't think it's helpful if we kind of get moralistic about what anyone is doing when it comes to sex. We just need to sort of meet them where they are, where, where they are and try and figure out, okay, what's the best way to like reduce your COVID risk or kind of reduce the risk of you passing it on to other people if you think you have it and that kind of stuff. Yeah, because um, that's something that kind of, you know, in sex work circles, that's something that's been like that I'm certainly sure to just kind of talk about is like, hey, some of us, you know, are back to work already, mm-hmm. um, like to, to in-person work. Some of us were not able to take a break from in-person work this whole yeah. time, you know, if we were survival, survival sex workers for some reason, mm-hmm. um, you know, then and it's just important to not uh, to not judge those people that uh, might have to continue in-person work and we can all just do our part to do the best we can with our situation, you know? Um, yeah. yeah. And, and also it. like when it comes to public health stuff, generally like shaming people for anything, whether it's having sex or seeing more than 10 people or not wearing a mask, yelling at someone for not following the rules, we know is just not a way that effectively changes anyone's behavior. It will probably just make them be less comfortable about telling people what they're doing right. and being secretive about it which is the opposite of what you want when you're trying to reduce everybody's risk so like 
don't yell at someone if they're not wearing a mask unless they're being a total asshole about it. Like, and don't don't get up on your friend's business if they are seeing uh, people from different social circles. Because, for example, like I don't have one bubble of ten people that are exclusively all hanging out with each other. Yeah, I have, and I like, think that's kind of an unrealistic thing for them to have yeah. put out there too. Like, yeah. I don't, I don't know how successful that, <laughs> how many people are successfully doing that. It seems kind of yeah. unrealistic. Well, that that I think is it's interesting if you if you're thinking about public health from a kind of queer perspective, which we already are sort of in the context of things like HIV. Mm-hmm. I I personally feel like the ten person bubble rule is something that is designed for an ideal environment where everyone lives in presumably heterosexual family units and maybe has like one family next door or like two sets of grandparents that they would like to hang out with. Mm-hmm. that is the only real situation in which you could manage like a 10 person contact bubble Yeah, where this but makes for, sense. <laughs> yeah. But for anyone else, it's like, well, if you are single or if you are a young person, people don't have social circles that work in this particular way. It's just not reasonable to expect people to kind of close off. And if anything, when people try and follow those rules, that then makes it become a weird sort of tribal high school situation, which you then just the can feel left. Yeah. yeah. It's like, oh, well, that group clearly went on vacation. So I'm clearly like not in that group. Wow. And it's like it, that type of thing, I think is just unhelpful. So I, it's interesting. Like, I think we're already starting to see kind of pushback from the scientific community about that particular bubble rule just because it's like not a really practical one from an epi perspective like it's not really feasible for how people behave yeah it is difficult yeah with that as you're saying like oh well maybe even this idea of like FOMO or like you know being being excluded or something like that like it's Mm -hmm. difficult to you know see other people doing things online doing social things going out and doing fun things and feeling like this is something I feel often even though I am in this super privileged spot of being able to work from home having a nesting partner having a little balcony you know all of these things I still feel I feel some kind of way about seeing people doing things online and I'm like Ugh. it's a mix of like uh, I, just be safe everybody just be safe and it'll be gone but also mm-hmm. me being like oh I would just like kill to do something like that right now like go to a beach or like a, yeah. someone's cottage I'm like oh I'm so jealous Ugh, same I, like I I'm in so that, jealous <laughs> in that sense it it almost feels like it was like I feel really jealous as well but it, it feels almost like as bad as it was in March Mm-hmm. that kind of was a little bit easier because everyone was locked down. No one was seeing each other. Like I was having really regular like video chats with tons of people. Me too, like, me too. And yeah. then they all stopped because yes. they're all doing things. And I'm like, no, mm-hmm. but I havenven't stopped. Let's still do trivia night Wednesday night virtually, yes. please. Exactly <laughs> that. It just, we are now in the kind of like weird gray area zone. Yeah, where like transitional are, period, right? Yeah, we're not back to normal, but also there are different rules that change depending on the city or the province everyone also has their own personal boundaries about what they feel comfortable with and their own situation and so you then start to see like oh i guess people on the internet are all like doing stuff like for example with me i saw like there was a while where the only way you could do comedy was a zoom show and zoom shows are like a nightmare but that was all we had and so people were just doing them but then suddenly it was like oh i guess in vancouver they're starting up comedy clubs and then in montreal it was starting again and now we have stage three in Toronto where it's like okay well like indoor comedy is now a thing outdoor comedy was starting some people aren't even comfortable with leaving their house some Mm -hmm. people are totally fine with like going into an indoor comedy club and then some people who are like the people who are the most comfortable with it are also the ones that are able to kind of hustle to get booked because they don't mind but some people just don't want to be in that environment and so it's just it's there's so much to like think about with that and it does feel very weird because you're watching everyone do different stuff, but it's not yeah. a level playing field because everyone has a different situation because of what's going on with COVID. Totally, totally. Uh, yeah. Okay, yeah. so let's move on into talking about comedy then. That seems like a good yes. segue. But before we do this, I want to give you the opportunity to attend to your cat if you need to. <laughs> <laughs> She's actually like fallen asleep. She's like oh, perfect. <laughs> lying upside down by the window. <laughs> This is my brief respite. I get like an hour where she's quiet and then she will just like lose her mind and run across the apartment and like jump on my face. It's a limited opportunity, limited window. (laughs) So, okay. So you're a person that 
did stand up comedy out in public, like large yeah. rooms full of lots and lots of people. That's mm-hmm. something that was your pre COVID kind of normal, right? Yeah, so, it was. So you did, you mentioned Zoom shows was a thing that was happening. You did yes. some of those, I'm assuming. Yeah, I did a handful. They are like absolutely not ideal. They're very like, they're very weird because obviously with Zoom, like you... It's all weird, yeah. It's all weird. Like you, some people tried doing it where they muted all the audience members and then that is really fucking strange because it's like basically doing a silent monologue, which is like (laughs) weird. But then if you have everyone's mics on so you can hear laughs, there's a time lag. And then there's a time lag, but also people will be like just sort of like making dinner or like chatting to their partner or something. There's noise pollution, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, it's, it's so bizarre. Like it... It was it was helpful because I did a couple of like um, like Zoom mics and shows and things that were like in different parts of the country and I did some stuff that was like work with people in the states. Um, cool. Yeah, that so, stuff's cool. Yeah, I appreciate yeah. that part of it. Like I've done a couple. Same thing. I've performed like burlesque, for instance, for instance, on a couple kind of Zoom shows a few months ago. And the cool part of it, yeah, it didn't work totally. It didn't totally mm-hmm. make sense for the medium. Because burlesque, same thing. You want to hear, like, woots and People. hoots and yeah. hollers and, you know, applause, <laughs> all that stuff. You get nothing, literally nothing, right? I'm like, I'm suddenly a cam girl. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I have to read? I have to read what they're commenting? Oh, my God. Um, I have to read the word woot. <laughs> Oh my god, really? Sure. Wow. <laughs> but the cool part of it, you're right, the cool part of it was like being able to, now people anywhere can watch these things, right? So that was one cool yeah. thing about it, for sure, I agree. Th- that has been the silver lining of all of this, is that I've been able to um, kind of share my material and, and bounce ideas off people who are south of the border. Um, and also, like, America, there's like a, still a lot more digital stuff happening because it's such a shit show down there, so like that is useful because it just kind of, it helps like build your network. It helps introduce you to like new ideas and new ways in which people are doing stuff outside of the Toronto bubble. And also sometimes like if you have like older material that you just want to work on, like if oh, you yeah. try it Bring it back here, out. They haven't heard it. Yeah, that, exactly. <laughs> like everyone here has heard it. So even if it was great, you would not get no laughs because everyone's like, yo, you've seen you do this a thousand times. But like, <laughs> yeah. I've been able to sort of just tweak some older stuff because I was doing it for people that were in the States who'd never heard anything. So that was, that was Perfect. fun. Yeah. And also actually like the, like a, some like really high profile comics have been doing them as well. I think like not many just because they're such like an awkward um, medium, but like, there was there was one comic I really like called Rosebud Baker who just did like she had a new kind of forty minutes that she just wanted to test so she had like maybe like fifty something people all on a Zoom call and then she just sort of did the material and then she did a Q and A with us afterwards so that was really fun because that's not the kind of like intimacy you get with performers when they're like in front of like two three hundred people so that has been really cool I think because it means that we're able to like because the people whose bread and butter with live performance at a really big scale are like because they're being forced online you get to like experience their work in a very different a lot more intimate way totally but yeah they're just like they're just weird i'm like i'm doing one this weekend that i'm not really looking forward to but like i guess i'm just gonna like i'm gonna do it i got booked um yeah people people are kind of like people started doing outdoor ones before they were legal which was annoying because the like there was a very small number and there was just the the few that were running were actually just kind of monopolized by um douchebag comedians like the, the bad side of toronto comedy and so i think so anyone that was straight white cis males <laughs> yeah making like racist jokes and making rape jokes and all that kind of stuff but that <sighs> that was the only like live comedy that people had access to so we're like fuck like everyone in the city must think that like that is what we're all like because that's the only thing people are seeing and they were people kept going to it um because it's the but, only thing <laughs> yeah it's the only thing but now just like now we're in stage three like more people are doing it like i i my new apartment has like a giant backyard i share with my building so like i am putting on a like a um, women and queer comedy show um, a week from Sunday. So that's going to be fun. Like, still keeping stuff very small and trying to figure out like kind of what the best safety protocols are. But I know I have like, I have enough space to have 20 people that are all sitting in groups that are two meters apart. Um, and so my logic is that outdoors is way better than indoors. And so I think actually that like, if you're, if you're more than two meters apart and you're outdoors, 
I'm not going to force anyone to wear masks just because I know that actually like the air circulation means that everything is kind of okay. So like that is what I am I'm comfortable with just because of because we have like the the weather window to do it. So I'm going to probably try and do a couple of those before it gets too cold to carry on. But yeah, like like new new ones are starting up like indoors. There was one that I that I got booked on, but I was sick, so I couldn't go just because I was being kind of COVID precautious. But it's a bar um, called Tonight Bar in Parkdale. And it's really small, and their setup is that they have like a patio outside, um, but they have a stage inside, and so they built like a plexiglass screen, and the performer stands on the stage behind the screen, but there's a video camera pointing at them. They perform, and then a live feed of that goes onto TVs in the patio, and then there's like the reverse happens. So like when you're on the stage, you can then see a feed of the people outside which sounds like completely bizarre, but it's basically like a Zoom show in real life, but everyone in is next door. Time. Yeah, but yeah. you're like right there. You are there, but you're not. Yeah, that mm-hmm. is interesting. Yeah, that's kind of a cool setup because I'm tr- kind of trying to think of like how this might look, you know, even in like, say the next year, because I produce yeah. shows, my husband produces comedy shows mm-hmm. and we're all just wondering how it, we're going to adapt like moving yeah. forward and if we can, you know, like... Well, I think there are there are certain annoyingly, I think for for people who do like improv, there are certain types of performance that work better. So stand up is a lot safer because you have one person on stage as exactly. opposed to a team of people moving around. So like Comedy Bar has just reopened. Has um, it? Yes, but they they have a setup where there's no improv shows. The comedian is standing at the very back of the stage, and there's like a kind of spot where they stand. So they're like they're really far from the front row the capacity is at 50 percent, and that's divided up into you can only buy tables of four and then there's like like a handful of tables of two near the back but it means that every group is like um, separate yeah um i think i think you all have to wear masks the whole time you're inside yeah um unless you're like eating or drinking they're, like they've 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 worked really hard i think because they knew this was going to come like there would be a time when it was like opening but like kind of weirdly opening so they have lots of like new rules like you kind of you can't just loiter in the bar and there's only one of their spaces is like on uh but it's like it's it's happening like people are people are doing it um i haven't done one there yet i am kind of slightly yeah, how do you unsure. feel about it <laughs> <clears throat> I'm not entirely sure. Like, it's it's also tricky because, like, comedy is this kind of thing where if if you don't hustle to get booked, you just won't perform. Mm-hmm. And so you just, people will kind of, like, forget that you exist, basically, until you've reached the level of a headliner where you're top of everyone's, like, mental list for who they want to hire. Like, you have to get yourself hired. And so, like, you have a situation where it's like, oh, I personally, like, may not be 100% comfortable with, like, going to do a show at comedy bar but like if i got booked i would probably do it because that is like a gig and it's like a gig at like the best kind of alt comedy venue in the city and there's so few of them i am com- i am pretty comfortable with the with the way that they've done it like i know they are being strict about kind of just about audience members and the amounts of people and movement around the space and stuff like that and i feel like as as i'm watching the ontario numbers go down I think I will get more comfortable with it in the coming weeks because it's clearly on like a downward trajectory. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, for me, yeah. I also have like no idea when I would go back to like in-person sessions. Is that and that's only me mm-hmm. and one other person in a room, like in yeah. indoors in a room. But I still just have no idea. Like I just keep pushing it back, you know. Mm-hmm. Like at first, I was like, "Oh yeah, the end of the summer," and then I was like, "Oh yeah, September probably." But now I'm like, "Oh yeah, October, November." <laughs> like yeah. I really am just like not. I don't know. But that's also, you know, I'm speaking from a place where like, I'm doing fine with online work. So there's no real Mm -hmm. financial need to I just kind of feel pressure that I should be getting back to work, like, just for the people I work for. And also, I know I have a bunch of clients that are pre booked. So they're just kind of waiting. So there are kind of some pressures, but Mm -hmm. so it's difficult, you know, would you be incorporating masks into that? I would, yeah, I would require, I can't see myself wanting to go inside no mask, either of us not having a mask. I think what Mm -hmm. would, yeah, if I'm thinking about how little steps I've been taking this whole time, (laughs) I would definitely need us both to have a full mask on, yeah, for the whole time. Just just in terms of like kind of knowing what it is that you do 
and also knowing about kind of the different environments where like transmission does and doesn't occur like i would actually think that what you do especially given the fact that like you could have been incorporating masks before the pandemic happened anyway exactly. like that could that could be part of the service and so i think actually you're, you're like you're in a pretty good position because it kind of is just down to like what you personally are kind of getting slowly more comfortable with because actually like we kind of know how well masks work and you know that like in those environments no one's going to be taking it off so like because they're tied up they can't they can't physically take off their own mask yeah like like that's kind of actually like like perfect (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's it's weird that like it's safer to be a dominatrix now than it is to be a server honestly true that's the true tea oh boy Yeah. yeah And like I, the the people that like I see kind of going out and getting sloppy drunk and like kind of keeping their mask off and whatever and just like if you're going out right now and you are like someone is serving you you better be tipping more than twenty percent oh and you like, better be like keeping your mask on whenever you are not eating and just like being fucking nice to them because I know so many servers that don't want to be back at work exactly. but they just have to they're forced to because it's reopened yeah. and they won't have a job if they don't go back now so yes. what do you do you need yeah. to work and oh yeah it's 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 tough i really like yeah you just gotta you feel for all the people in those you know at first like the essential services people but then now Mm -hmm. yeah all these all the people in these jobs that have suddenly reopened with stage three like yeah you know servers uh, but also because once once your job is is back up and running you i mean i'm not entirely sure like how the intricate kind of benefit system works because thankfully i still have my job but i am pretty sure that like if you quit a job that is open and available to you, yeah. it's not going to be the same as you being forced out of work because of the pandemic. So people will probably not have much of a choice about going back because the benefit system is just like, you wouldn't qualify in the same way. Um, yeah, and, and that, there... that doesn't like allow for people, who, for instance, who are immunocompromised. Um, yeah. So say they would take longer to go back than other people, even though their job is open and available and ready for yeah. them to work. It's like, that's mm-hmm. yeah, that's just stuff that isn't taken into account. Yeah, and all the, all the kind of the the people I see that are like kind of that complain about someone choosing to not go back to work and to stay on Serb. It's like, well, if you think about Serb was designed to be like the minimum amount that someone could live off, mm-hmm. maybe you are paying them too little to begin with. Yeah, like it's not a problem with Serb; it's a problem with how little you are paying someone. If it is better for them to be on the government mandated minimum benefit than to like come back and like work in your salon or work in your cafe or like be a barista yeah it's just like pay people a fucking decent wage especially those industries like grocery stores where they are making a shit ton of money more than they ever did and their profits have gone through the roof so much risk by being there so much risk yeah and also i mean like i think grocery store employees especially the ones that are really putting up with the few people who are being assholes about masks like that is someone that's getting paid a minimal amount to put up with like abuse from strangers and like heightened COVID risk all just because if they yes must be yeah uh, through the roof oh so much so much of this stuff just kind of like makes me furious but like yeah sometimes i'm not entirely sure like where to channel the rage but i think the very least you can do is if you're in an environment twitter yeah twitter Just be angry on the internet, but also be fucking nice to people. Like, also, like, if you were in line to get into somewhere for an hour, great. Like, still don't be a dickhead to anyone once you get inside. Like, if you're in a tipping environment, tip well. Just, like, be nice to people because chances are no one really wants to be doing what they do. Like, no one is like, oh, my God, I'm desperate to get back to serving. I really miss, like, (laughs) waiting on drunk people. (laughs) From somebody who's been in the service industry my whole life, no one is yeah. desperate to get back to serving <laughs> like, i like i worked in retail for a bunch of years and like <laughs> that was a living hell oh. in like the best of times so like, like to be doing that and then like risking your own health just Can to sell imagine? people things yeah for, to be like it's just just be nice just be nice yeah and but also I feel like, like- yeah. Sorry, carry on. No, go ahead. I, I was just going to conclude with with uh, a talking point. So if you wanted to had anything more to say about retail, by, by all means, this could be the place you, you can vent, Dan. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, I just... Oh, fuck. Like, I was working in, in luxury furniture retail as well, so I was dealing with, like, rich clients mm. who, like, 
treat people like dirt just because they have money. Um, and I just said that you really learn a lot about the human condition when you're working in like a service industry job, whether it's like, True. like kind of being a server or like working in retail and like you're coming into contact with like super wealthy people or people who just like, you can tell a lot about how someone treats like a server or a retail worker. And you can just, tell like, a lot about them. Yeah. Yeah. Just like have a basic level of human decency. And I think that like... I get that some people will be like, oh, I want to support XYZ local business because otherwise, like, they might go under because lots of places have. Yes. And so I think, like, if if you're a, kind of like a regular patron of a certain place, like, maybe just kind of like, like, I, there was a coffee shop near where I used to live and they were kind of open pretty early and I was, like, friendly with the barista and I was like, do you guys actually want to be, like, at work? Like, is this in danger of, like, going under? Do you desperately need, like our kind of support and I spoke to another friend who was a barista who was like actually that place is like probably fine they're supported they're not going to go under but the, there are other places you can go to where your service actually matters yeah. and it would like be keeping that place open so like that I think is like you can do your research about like where to ethically like shop because we want to be supporting local businesses and we don't want every place to close down and be like turned into I don't know like a Tim Hortons um yep but yeah, just like, it's it's the same with like sex risk and all that kind of stuff. Like, just because we can do a whole bunch of stuff doesn't mean we automatically should. should. <laughs> yeah, so just like, if you can, just like stop and think critically about like what you're doing and where you're going and where you're putting your money and just try and figure out like what is worth it. I think like now especially is a time to be supporting black owned businesses. So if you weren't consciously doing just that before. Just gonna like, say that, yes, yeah. exactly. Do your, do your research, like Google and Instagram and Twitter are incredibly helpful with that. Just like find places that you can support that need your money. Yeah, there are um, a few and then, curated lists. Maybe I'll find a, I'll just find a couple and post those links because there are a few curated lists of like all the black owned businesses in Toronto, yeah. like independent black owned businesses, you know, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, that you can throw yeah. your money at. That, that is, that's, that's my final statement of the day. And Be a nice it. person, do your research, basically. <laughs> yeah, totally. Oh, Dan, this has been like this. I, I'm 100% sure this will be so helpful for people. So I thank you so much thank for you. coming back. I'm so happy you pitched this idea, me, idea to me. I'm like, oh, yes, this is what we need to hear. Like, Thanks you know, so much for having me. Oh, my absolute pleasure. And, you know, we can, you know, I, at one point I was like, oh, I don't want to like spam people with COVID content just because we need the other side of stuff too to yeah. like talk about other things we enjoy and like laugh and mm-hmm. take our minds off things, do that too. But it's, of course, always good to come back to like getting actual information as far as code yeah. stuff goes so yeah and I, I will say just very quickly like yes, um, for your listeners that one thing that I found really helpful for me is just to bear in mind that the COVID situation it like changes massively depending on where you are in the world and it can be really stressful if you're just on Twitter just like reading what everyone is saying because in Canada we're so close to the USA um, and lots of news also comes out of the UK and comes out of Europe and it can be really stressful and also we can be like we can be blowing things out of proportion because we could be thinking that it is as bad here as it is in like Florida or somewhere. So I found it really helpful just to actually just be only really kind of checking Canadian news for that kind of information because that puts things tip. massively in perspective and really helps with the anxiety level because like like the US is a disaster zone, but Canada yes. isn't. Yes. And it can be like it can be really damaging to our mental health if we act as if kind of everyone is getting sick and dying when actually it's like a very small number of people um so just like think local in terms of like in terms of how you shop in terms of what you do in terms of the news you consume and that i think is kind of the best approach to things when everything is so out of control that is honestly such good advice i think we can all because we're all you know just scrolling on our phones like you know a lot for a lot of time like a lot of hours of the day we're just doing Mm -hmm. scrolling so i think that's fantastic just to like set those boundaries for yourself you know to take care do the self-care thing you know take care of yourself as far as emotional labor goes in the the uh, media you consume so yeah great point to end on dan did you want to uh let people know like where they can follow you maybe where they can they will potentially have access to the information that you're going to curate at your work Stuff like that? Yeah. Um, so I work for KT, which is the Canadian AIDS Treatment Information Exchange. So if you just Google C-A-T-I-E, 
um, you should be able to find our website. Uh, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Duty Official. So that's D-U-D-Y Official. Um, and I put information up on there about uh, some of the outdoor shows that I'm running and maybe some of the Zoom gigs that I'm doing as well. Perfect. And for myself, um, I talked about sex work a little bit. So my Twitter for my dominatrix profile is at the lady Pim one on Instagram. I am Pim dot lady for bedpost Instagram. I'm at the bedpost podcast. We also have a Patreon with lots of fun bonus content, patreon.com slash the bedpost show. I always like to mention my lovely friend, Stephanie Copeland, who does all the original music for the podcast. You can check out her stuff at stephcopelandmusic.com. Lastly, huge huge thank you to you dan udi thank you so much for coming on again and we'll have to come you i mean we'll, we'll have to come you i'll just period we'll have to we'll, we'll have to come you we'll have to come me. <laughs> i was gonna say we'll have to have you on in another couple months because as we said all this information is like evolving evolving so yeah would love to check back with you again sometime soon uh, thank you, Dan, and thank you to everyone who's been listening. We'll see you next week with another fun and sexy guest here in the studio talking about sex and sexuality on the Bedpost Podcast. Later, skaters. Bye. <laughs> Bye. This podcast has been brought to you by the Sonar Network. 